We're continuing our walk through the life of Moses. Come to a rather famous encounter out of Exodus chapter 3. It's printed in your bulletin. The scripture reads, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I must turn aside, look at this great sight, and See why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites." The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I've also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. The word of God for the people of God, and thanks be to God. I got a message on one of the, I don't know, hundreds of platforms that people can send messages on nowadays. And one was waiting in my inbox, and it was from one of my former co-workers, a lady I used to work with. And um, she was asking me, she says, Rory, I'm having a test done on, to test the function of some organ or some another, and we're going to see how it is. The other test that I asked you to pray about came back fine, so we're going to do this test, and I just wanted you to pray for me. So, like, this happens a lot with her. Not a lot. Like, it's not every week or something like that, but it's pretty regular. She asks me regularly to pray for some organ that she's having some test on uh, and to make sure that it comes out well, which is fine. I'm happy to pray for her. She's a friend of mine, and I'm, I'm happy to do that for her. But you get enough of these in a row, and I start to wonder 
if I'm not like some lucky charm or talisman to her, like, you know, she rubs the little lamp and makes sure that whatever, I don't know, the rabbit's foot and makes sure that things are going to turn out the way that they're supposed to, which I don't know why she does this, because like I said, we work together and I should have proven thoroughly by now that I am no more holy than she is or anyone else for that matter. It shouldn't have taken her that long. I am not holier than someone else. Matter of fact, I had a, another conversation with a church member this week about how she is sort of the talisman in her family. Everyone comes to her and asks her for prayers as if God listens to her more than anyone else or, or, or me, you know. And I feel like ministers get put in that position a lot as if somehow we have a, a better audience with God than someone else. And it's just not the case. But nevertheless, we can feel that way. And the reason why I bring that up is I tend to think that we tend to think of biblical people in the same manner, that somehow they're different than us, they're holier than us, and therefore God listens to them more than he would to us. So case in point here is, is Moses, and we think, we read this story about the burning bush, and we've heard it since we were in Sunday school and all of these things, and we think, well, yeah, it's Moses. Of course God shows up and talks to him because Moses is amazing. Like he's this legendary figure and all these things happen to him. He's the dude who parts the Red Sea and he knocks on rocks in the desert and water starts pouring out and he's able to sit in the presence of God. And of course, he's this holy person. Of course, God shows up to him. But I think if you asked Moses about it, he would say, no, no, that's not me at all. I think we tend to think that when God appears in this burning bush to Moses, that Moses is some holy person when he comes there and therefore God shows up to him. But that's far from the truth. We talked last week about Moses' origins, about how he was put and placed in a basket on the River Nile, uh, specifically because his life was in danger as a Hebrew child. Uh, he was supposed to be exterminated and he wasn't. And as fate would have it, he was found by an Egyptian princess. And so he was raised half of his childhood in the, Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew camp with his people. And then the other half, he was adopted into the Egyptian princess's world. And so presumably he was raised in a palace or, or at least a royal household of some sort. And so he had that background too. The result of no fault of his own is that he didn't belong anywhere. He didn't belong with either of them. He didn't belong with the Hebrews because the Hebrews thought, well, he's an Egyptian royal now, so who knows what kind of ideas they pumped into his head, and he could turn on us at any moment. And the Egyptians didn't trust him because he's a Hebrew. He's not one of us. So he doesn't belong with either of them. Not by his fault. What is his fault is he chooses to kill an Egyptian slave master, taskmaster. He kills him, hides the body, and now everyone is very nervous. The Egyptians are like, this is exactly what we were afraid the Hebrews were going to do to us. And it just proves their, their false narrative that the Hebrews are a violent people in all of this. And the Hebrews are going, are you going to kill us next if you disagree with us? They don't trust him either. So he's this ultimate misfit. He doesn't belong anywhere. So he flees to a foreign land called Midian, which is all the way across the Arabian Peninsula on the other side of the known world of the day. And he goes wandering off there. He finds a girl next to a well. They hit it off. They end up getting married. And this girl happens to be the daughter of a Midian priest. Now this is in the days 
before Israel even has an organized religion. They don't have priests. So if there's a priest at this point in the Bible, it is a foreign priest to some other god, which means he's now married into a pagan religion family, and he's living in that house. He's living with his father-in-law and taking care of his flocks. That's his life now. He doesn't belong there any more than he did anywhere else. He is an outsider, an outcast, a misfit, wandering hundreds of miles from the place that he grew up. And that is where he sees a bush on fire and goes to investigate. It's in that condition. And then the voice calls out, of course, Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. Holy ground. God is there in that place, and that's what makes it holy. I want to ask you a very personal question, and I would like for you to answer it in your mind, not out loud. I want to ask you this question. Where are you? And I realize that you're sitting in church right now. That's not what I mean. I mean, where are you on life's journey? Where are you at? What point are you? Maybe you're in the, I don't know where, in the neither lands, neither here nor there, where you feel like you don't belong anywhere, where you feel alone, and that you don't have a tribe, that people don't understand you, and you don't have a place to belong. Moses knows exactly what you feel like. Maybe that doesn't exactly help either. Maybe you're not in that place. Maybe you are in um, a place where you know where you are and you know that's not where you wanted to be. Maybe at this point in life, things have not gone according to plan. And you didn't expect to have to be at this point in your life here. So maybe you're lost. Maybe you're feeling out of place, like things have gone wrong somewhere in life and you don't know how that happened. Or maybe you know exactly how it happened. Maybe there is some mistake in your past that is absolutely haunting you, that you can't get past. You know you can't go back and change it, and so there's nothing that you can really do about it, but that doesn't stop you from feeling depressed and angry and frustrated about how you messed up in life. I guarantee you, Moses knows exactly what that is like. He has been there, he has done that, and I don't think there's a day that goes by He doesn't think about that Egyptian that he buried under the sands. Or maybe you're in a broken place. Maybe you're in a place where you feel like all of life, every little bit of it is falling apart around you. Where everyone and everything has let you down and nothing, nothing is right. Moses knows what that's like too. Maybe it's nothing so dramatic as that. Maybe it's nothing nothing that intense. Maybe you just feel tired from all that life requires. Maybe you are just feeling like you're out of passion, like life doesn't have the same fire or vigor that it once did. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by everything that is demanded of you, or maybe you just feel apathetic, like nothing matters. None of it matters. Wherever you are in life, where are you? Moses isn't special because he's holy. If anything, Moses is different and special because of how, just how thoroughly, profoundly broken he is. Every part of his life has fallen apart. He's like anyone else except just maybe more so. He's lost, abandoned, pushed out, hurt, depressed, and you would have to think he's 
hopeless. Nothing is ever going to get any better. And it is at that very moment, in that place in his life, where God says, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Is he talking about Midian? I don't think so. I think he's talking about the broken place in his life. In his broken life itself. That place, Moses, is holy ground. Take off your shoes. Quit pretending. Let's get real for a minute. I want to see all of your brokenness. So where are you at in your life? Is it broken in some way? Is it disappointing? Is it frustrating? I want to tell you that wherever you are, where you are standing is holy ground. And so you don't have to pretend. You can take your shoes off. Wiggle your toes a little bit. Dig it into the carpet. Because God, where you are standing, He is here. This is holy ground where you're at in your life right now. You could have been somewhere else this morning. You could have gone to brunch, had a bagel someplace. You could be up in the mountains, or uh, you could be sleeping off a football game, whatever football game you were watching yesterday or last night. You could be doing any of those things. But you didn't. You came here this morning. You came because you wanted to see something today, something perked your interest, and so you came. Take off your shoes. Because today you're on holy ground because God has shown up. You can come with your bare feet before God, hiding nothing, with no shame. You don't, have, you don't need it. It's in that place, in that holy place, that holy moment, barefoot, that God gives Moses the plan. He, he says, something's got to be done, we're going to do something here today. And God is going to be about something. There is a wonderful preacher by the name of Anna Carter Florence. And uh, she was telling a group of preachers one time, if you really want to get to know a passage quickly, follow the verbs. That's where all the action is. Kind of a lame joke, but it's good advice for reading scripture. Follow the verbs. God talks about the plan. And there are seven verbs that I see. So let me give them to you real quick. Refresh your memory. God says that I have observed, that's number one, observed the misery of Israel. Two, I have heard their cries under their taskmasters. Three, uh, God knows their suffering by the hands of Egypt. Number four, God is coming down. Two, five, deliver them out of Egypt. And six, bring them up into Egypt. A promised land, a land of milk and honey. And I'm not going through all those tribes again. Too bad, you can do that on your own. And the final one, of course, God says, and this is my favorite one, God says, Moses, I am sending you. I am sending you to go to Pharaoh to lead them out. So just a a few little bits about these verbs before we move on. The first three are all about God understanding the horrible thing that is befalling Israel at that point, okay? So there is observation. God sees that they are suffering. He understands it. He he has seen it with his own eyes. Matter of fact, he has heard their cries. So he has heard their frustration, their emotion, their fear, their anger, their pain. He has heard these things, 
with his own ears. And then three, he knows about their suffering in Egypt. He knows that there are systems in place, that there are injustices that are rampant all throughout the national state in Egypt. He knows about it. Three times he takes it out of his way to say, I understand what is going on. How many of you have ever had a conversation with someone and they said, I don't want you to fix what is wrong in my life. I just want you to what? Understand or empathize. I just want you to listen. (laughs) I just want you to hear me on this. Three times God says, I'm not doing anything until you know, I know. I understand exactly what you're going through. I have taken the time. I have looked. I have listened. I have studied up on this. I realize what is going on. And it is only then that he moves on to action. The next three verbs are about action. So God is going to come down. He's going to get on the level of what is going on. He's uh, leaving heaven and coming down to earth to get involved in the mud. To deliver them. He's going to draw them out because history is going away that it shouldn't. And he is going to alter that and put them in a new story, a new place, a land that is beautiful and fairer than day and a land of milk and honey. And that is where God is going to get them to. This history won't do. We got to get to another one. Do you see Jesus in it? Because I do. Maybe that's because I'm Christian and I can't help it. I can't help but think about the Christ who comes down who sees our situation and wants to do something about it and gets in the midst of us and brings us salvation from the bondage that we have to sin, who came down in Bethlehem, led us through the pain of Calvary and out into the empty tomb, into the promised land beyond, what he calls and describes as the kingdom of God, a place of beauty and power. God is still about liberating people. He didn't stop when Israel escaped Egypt. He is still about it today. And then there's that last verb, my favorite one. He is going to send Moses. Send him. God's plan. God has a plan, and God is going to do something about this personally. He he personally puts into place these plagues to to get Egypt to let go of Israel. But he wants Moses to be involved in it too. God wants human beings, us, to be a part of a new world that he is leading us toward. God sends people, continues to send people to create this new kingdom of God that he describes. A place of power and beauty and equality and goodness and justice. And we think, yeah, of course God told Moses to do that because Moses is Moses. But once again, I think Moses would tell you, I think you got that wrong. I'm made out of the same dust and water as you are. I'm no different. Because if you read the rest of the scripture, Moses protests to God. He says, are you talking about me? You want me to go? Who in the world am I? Have you, have you been paying attention? Have you seen me the way you've seen Israel? Because I'm not your guy. You got the wrong kid. You need to clean off your glasses and take another shot at this. I'm the wrong guy for this job. And what is God's response? I will be with you. I know you don't feel up to this. I know you don't feel like you're good enough. But I am with you. I will be with you the whole time. After a little bit more protest, Moses finally agrees. God gives the divine name, Yahweh. 
I will be what I will be. They go. He confronts Pharaoh. The ten plagues happen. And eventually, Pharaoh relents, lets the children of Israel go, and they finally have their exodus out of the land of Egypt. And it is the turning point of the Hebrew Bible. This is the defining moment of the Hebrew Scriptures. Everything else is based off of this moment when Israel escapes Egypt. From that point on, God defines himself, anytime he speaks through a prophet just about, he defines himself by this miracle. I am the God of your ancestors, the one who led you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And for Israel's part, they identify themselves by this way too. We are your children, the ones that you brought out of the land of Egypt. So it is a defining moment for that nation. This is who they are. But I want to tell you that it's also the defining moment of Moses. This is the point where his life alters. He is no longer the outsider with a hard past. He becomes the Moses that we know. The liberator, the justice fighter, the great man who lived his life with God. And the thing that changed him, that brought him from one side to the other, is the assurance, the knowledge, the promise that God is with him. And a life lived with God changes everything. God still does this. This is not locked away in Scripture. This is not some story that doesn't have any meaning today. God is still with us. He hears our suffering. He sees the problems in our world. He knows how injustice is rampant in nations all across this globe. And he is working to free people from their bondage and lead them into a better way. Lead them into this kingdom of God where people are equal and valued where there is goodness and generosity and love and sacrifice. And God wants us. He invites us. He calls us to be a part of it. I'm called. And you are called too. You are called to lead others out of their bondage and into a better reality. You are called. Right where you are. Right now, you are called. You may feel like I can't be talking to you, but I am. You may feel like I'm unworthy. I've lost so much. I'm lost. I'm not good enough. And I want to tell you, don't be afraid. You're called anyway. And God will be with you. Always. Would you pray with me?